This is R.J. Rushdooney, Easy Chair Number 129, September the 1st, 1986. One of the pleasures of these Easy Chairs is that occasionally I have one of you here and a chance to uh, have a session with you. And tonight we have two of our listeners from Michigan, Jean and Robin Newman. Gene, Robin, we're very happy to have you with us this evening. First of all, before we go into our discussion, why don't you introduce yourselves and each of you tell a little bit about your background, your experience uh, as a Christian, your introduction to the faith, and so on. Gene, why don't you start? Well... <clears throat> That's an interesting question, and one that, uh, because of my Jewish background, I've had to give at various churches. It seems that when they discover that I'm Jewish, I'm a bit of a novelty or a curiosity, and they are always very interested in how I came to the faith. But I'll be mercifully brief, because I know my wife has a story to tell as well. Uh, I was born in Israel. And I came over when I was uh, just about three years old, uh, and we settled in the Detroit area. And I uh, grew up in a home that was uh, culturally Jewish, but a home where Jewish values, per se, were not uh, specifically taught. But the culture of being Jewish was very much in evidence when I went to Hebrew school, and we... Uh, primarily grew up in a conservative home, although I was exposed to the three major uh, Jewish uh, denominations, Reform, Conservative, and Orthodox. Uh, and eventually I went to college, uh, and I got married in 1971. And it was very interesting uh, for me to grow up in a Jewish environment uh, because the culture that I lived in uh, was not the main culture. And my father is, is from uh, the United States. My mother was a refugee from Poland and grew up in Israel. So there was this real cultural conflict. And my mother was very much uh, concerned about the status of of uh, Jewish people and the environment and so forth. My father was not. She tended to be informed by her Jewish values, and my father was not. And we grew up in an area that was both Christian and secular and Jewish, and uh, in, in a part of Michigan, in a part of the, of the Detroit area that wasn't predominantly Jewish. It was mixed. And as a result, I didn't grow up in a predominantly Jewish culture. I grew up in a mixed culture. Uh, and so when it came to dating Gentile girls, um, shiksas as we affectionately call them, uh, I was <coughs> open to that idea. And I guess my mother was uh, reluctantly op open to it as well. Robin shaking her head. <laughs> well, I, was, I, I thought I was open to it. Um, at any rate, I, I, I married my high school sweetheart. And, uh, as I said, we did get married in 1971, and we eventually moved to Toronto a couple of years uh, later, 
and lived there for 11 years and, and uh, then moved back. We were in business for ourselves and uh, then I eventually uh, made a career change and, and worked uh, for a chemical company and later that chemical company helped to transfer me back to the United States where we moved to Milwaukee and then we moved again to the Detroit area. It was during that time in um, Canada where we had an opportunity to develop as a family away from my parents, away from the environment that we were most familiar with because Robin and I being high school sweethearts, we both grew up in a similar in similar areas. In fact, when we dated, uh, we were only 10 blocks apart. So when we moved away, it was not only a different country, it was a really different culture. And Robin came from an, an Armenian and Catholic background. I came from a Jewish background. But we were nominally our religious backgrounds. We were, we, our values were not necessarily informed by those backgrounds in a very distinctive way. So as a result of some temporary physical illness, we got into the, uh, a health food regime called Zen Macrobiotics. And being very enthusiastic about it, uh, adopted its cosmology, uh, we began to live communally, we uh, actually were a major macrobiotic supplier in Eastern Canada. We st uh, started and ran an ashram. We taught Eastern cosmology. And it was as a result of that that I started to see the value in religious values because it, it was more than a diet. It was a way of life and yoga and meditation and all that was part of it. And it was um, one of my suppliers in, in Texas that was a Christian. And he was very enthusiastic about my Jewishness. Well, I wasn't Jewish at that time in my own mind. I was, if anything, a Zen, Buddhist, Shinto, <laughs> ashram operator. <laughs> I was not Jewish. However, he started, he started quoting scripture. We used to buy a lot of our natural foods from him. And every time I would place my order, he had a message at the receptionist that when uh, our company placed its order he was going to get on the line he was the president of the company it was one of the largest in the country and I, I imagine it, it still is today and he would always come on the line and just share a little bit of his Christian experience and what joy he felt at me being Jewish and I didn't understand this and he started quoting scripture from the Old Testament and that really bothered me because even though I could care less about the Bible, I certainly didn't believe in it, um, I felt very possessive about the fact that here was this Christian, this Gentile, knowing more about the Bible, and it was my book. All of a sudden it became my book. <laughs> and this, was, <laughs> this bothered me uh, for a number of years, as a matter of fact. Uh, but it opened my eyes because I couldn't understand why a Christian, and from the Jewish perspective, they don't make the distinctions between Catholicism and Protestantism and the Armenian Church and the Greek Orthodox and so forth. Uh, I was always taught that Christians were Christians, uh, and whether it was, or Catholics or, or, or whatever. And yet, um, I knew Frank was not Catholic, uh, but he had this knowledge of the Bible that 
that uh, I didn't feel was legitimate. He didn't write the Bible. He wasn't Jewish. It was our book. And yet I didn't know anything about it. And that was a, uh, a seed that was being planted uh, in my own mind. And uh, that was to come back later on because the one thing that Frank was very careful to do was that he never uh, forced his uh, Christian religion quote down my throat. Um, I was very negative towards Christians and Gentiles or I Christians in general because of the um, tradition of persecution uh, and uh, separation uh, that was ostensibly forced on the Jews uh, throughout the European experience and so forth. A lot of it was true, I'm sure, and a lot of it was just also um, uh, self-imposed. But um, I respected that. And eventually what happened is that I met some business people that were Christians, and they did the same thing. Uh, they were very proud of their Christian belief and, and faith, and they seemed to have answers which I didn't have. And we, were, we had started a family. And in fact, our family was multiplying. Every two years, uh, we were having children. And we have five today, with one on the way. And they're all two years apart, so we were somewhat systematic in this. And it was becoming quite evident that um, my Zen uh, outlook and, and the practicality demanded by my business was not going to be compatible. It was also evident that living in an ashram and communistically it was not working either because the, there was some tension and there was some separation being created uh, in my own family. And that had to do with part of the people that I was living with. Uh, but more importantly than that, the answers were not coming. Uh, I, I, I have always been the kind of person that needs to have a cohesive understanding of the way things operate. I can't have a lot of loose ends. And, I, and I've always been the kind of individual that has to dig and dig and dig to get to the root of something. And when I was in university, I was a committed Marxist not just a superficial one. And when uh, that didn't work and I met some of the, the, eventually I met the leaders and found out how morally bankrupt they were and, and even politically bankrupt. And when I, I, I rejected that, when we got into Zen macrobiotics, we just didn't eat brown rice and miso soup and, and uh, the diet. We started a company, we started teaching it, we started proselytizing, we started promoting um, uh, we went to Boston and studied. We got into it uh, from a, a very, very deeply. And when you teach something, you force yourself to learn it. Um, and so this accelerated the process. And I've, all, I've always felt that as long as I'm committed to getting to the root of something, if it's the truth, I'll find out. And if it's not the truth, I'll find that out too. Uh, and that's basically where I was uh, in my introduction to the Christian faith. I was not interested in Jesus Christ per se. And when I give my testimony sometimes, I, I say to the audience that becoming a Christian was definitely not my idea. That was the last thing I was looking for if someone were to give me a questionnaire and say, what would you like to be next year? <laughs> Jewish, Christian, Muslim, Zen, secular. Um, I would not have checked the box Christian. Um, I had no interest myself but I had a burning desire to find answers and uh, a 
a, a very strong need to understand why things are the way they are. And a lot of this had to do with the fact that I had children and I had to educate them. I had a marriage at that time, with, and we're going back a number of years now, that I didn't feel was very solid. I had a business that seemed to be slipping through my fingers uh, because of government intervention and the, the value of the declining dollar and high import taxes and uh, a mar market conditions I, I wasn't prepared for because I was a music major, not a business major, and here I was running uh, a business that was uh, doing a, a very high volume, employing 14 people, distributing natural foods to 500 different, ac different accounts in most of the provinces in Canada. It was a small business but very complex. And so there, was <coughs> and there were so many things that we were involved in, I needed to have answers and I wasn't getting answers. And uh, humanly speaking, my motivation in becoming a Christian was finding the truth. I wanted to find the truth. I wanted to find out if uh, the claim that uh, Christ was the answer, that the Bible was the source of truth and the standards, uh, standards for life, uh, I wanted to know whether that was in fact uh, the truth. And the thing that intrigued me the most from that standpoint was something that a pastor, a Pentecostal pastor who had a great deal of respect for the Jews uh, and respected my Jewish heritage more than I did, um, said to me, he said, I cannot conjure up Jesus Christ. I cannot convince you that Jesus Christ is the truth. I cannot convince you that the Bible is true. But God can. And if it's God's will that uh, your eyes will be opened and your heart will be softened, it will be unmistakable to you. And that was really unique because uh, implicit in, in my socialistic training and in my Zen training and so forth was uh, a works type of, of religion uh, where we're going to uh, convert through our own efforts and our mm -hmm. own abilities. This was so so much the opposite, and it was opposite from my from what I was told as a uh, a person growing up in a Jewish home. That, in fact, my impression of Christians was the 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 caricature of a TV evangelist, where they're browbeating you to death, and you have you have to make that decision right now, or it's over with. And it was it was um, a sham. That was it, I had. A, a very low opinion of that and here was this pastor saying exactly the opposite and what he was basically saying I was to, to find out later was the sovereignty of God's grace and uh, that was very very powerful that I melted I felt helpless under that and uh, it wasn't long after that that uh, I accepted Christ and um because it wasn't something that I personally was looking for myself. Um, I didn't feel that... Uh, uh, I, di I didn't have a sense of obligation that I was to prove Christianity was right. If it was correct, it was, if it was the truth, it was going to manifest itself. And I'll let my wife explain what happened that memorable day. Mm -hmm.
um, it did change my life and my life has not been the same and uh, it's been a great joy and um, I feel that that has been a turning point and I know that uh, the providential hand of God has been on our family I, I know that God's providence has always been on but I have not recognized it until after I became a Christian and we have been enormously blessed by that and we, I feel that we have had we have been much more effective uh, as a result of, of believing uh, that the Bible is the Word of God that it is uh, that it is infallible and that when we look for guidance guidances to what to do I have a standard right now that is such a sense of peace it really is it's I can't describe it to you it's a very personal thing for me because I was I, I was so restless in, inside and um, all, I have a great sense of uh, compassion and, and pity uh, especially when I see people that I can identify with who are really lost I know what it's like to really be lost and, and not everyone is lost very few people are going anywhere, so they don't even know they're lost. <laughs> but there are people who are desperately seeking to accomplish something in their lives. And they feel it greater. They want to do something, and they feel that they're constantly running into roadblocks and obstacles, and they're constantly being defeated. And in a sense, that's where I was. Not totally, but I did feel that. And that was the, end, the, the net result. And um, one of the great just personal truths and personal experiences is that I no longer see that that's no longer reality for me and uh, I don't like to wear it on my sleeve but nevertheless the truth of Christ's life and his message the truth of the Bible is something that uh, is so deeply ingrained in me that uh, it's impossible to, de to deny or to compromise um, what I've lived through and what I'm continuing to live through. So it's been uh, uh, a very exciting and, and uh, challenging <laughs> time. And this was um, almost six, almost six years ago. Mm -hmm. Robin, let's hear from you now. I was raised as a Catholic. I met Jean in high school. Your parents were? My father is Armenian, mm -hmm. Sultanin is his last name, and uh, my mother is Polish. We did not have a particularly strong religious faith in our home because both of my parents are deaf. And as a result, most of the influence in our home was a cultural influence from the deaf community. Oh. Mm -hmm. So it, uh, it was not... Uh, probably as strongly Catholic or Christian as it could have been had they both been hearing in that regard. Um, but as it was, um, my mother's side of the family, quote-unquote, kind of won, won out, and I was raised more in the Catholic faith as opposed to the uh, Orthodox Christian or Orthodox Armenian faith. And uh, when I met Jean in high school, I remember you making a comment to me one time, about being Catholic. He thought it was so terrible because they had an, a concept of sin and guilt. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that, but he just, he couldn't relate to it at all because of the idea that 
the church lays so much guilt on a person because of sin. The whole idea of sin uh, was just totally repugnant to him. And uh, now it's quite funny because he's the one that really harps on the concept of sin. <laughs> His or yours? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, anyway, we dated for four years. And uh, we both dated other people on and off. But I don't know, I felt a real sense of kind of destiny when I, when I met Jean, that somehow we belonged together. And I think that's proved correct. When it came time for us to get married, uh, we announced it to his family with fear and trepidation. Uh, in Michigan, there's a place called Greenfield Village. And they have a very, very lovely chapel on a long, rolling uh, green hill that is non-denominational, and many, many people get married there. And we thought that would be the perfect place. We wouldn't offend anybody. We wouldn't offend my family. We wouldn't offend his family. And uh, we thought that would be a very nice place to get married, non-denominational chapel. So we announced to his parents that we wanted to get married. And his mother went through the roof. It's a chapel. What's a chapel? It's a church for Pete's sake. And she just went bananas. <laughs> and uh, the end of the discussion was, Robin, would you consider converting? And I had to think about it, not too difficult, um, a decision in the Jewish faith Jewishness stems from the mother. The reason being um, that you always know who the mother is, but you can never be sure who the father is. And in order for the grandchildren to be Jewish, she wanted her grandchildren to be Jewish, the mother must be Jewish. Therefore, would I consider converting? So we discussed it. and um, The basic tenets of Judaism, as they were presented to me at the time, was not anything that I did not already believe or could not accept. And so uh, we went through a very, very brief conversion study uh, with a conservative rabbi at the time. Reform. Was he reform? Okay. Rabbi Simon Michigan, he was reform. And uh, eight weeks later, we were married. And we had a Jewish wedding. It was very nice. We had all the Armenians on one side and all the, the Jews on the other side and they made the uh, Howard the Seal the bread. And <laughs> yeah, they, were, they were there too and uh, of the deaf people it was a nice mixture of uh, people. And, you should have been there. Oh, it was great fun. And uh, shortly after we were married, as Jean said, we got into the uh, natural foods path and that sort of thing. Well, how long has it been? I guess, I guess, we must have been married about seven, eight years at that point, and we entered uh, another business. And there were Jewish business associates that we had there at the time that had hosted a Bible study. Uh, previous to that point, too, I had gone to a program, uh, OA, Overeaters Anonymous, basically the same program as Alcoholics Anonymous, because uh, whenever I had a problem of any kind, I would run to the refrigerator, I would eat. I did not deal with problems. You obviously have no problems now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're sweet. <laughs> um, I still have that basic tendency. But I believe the Lord brought me to that program because in that program they have what's called, it's a 12-step program. The first step is to recognize that you are totally powerless over, you have no control literally over anything in your life. 
and that you must surrender to, quote, a higher power. As you progress, you come to realize that that higher power really is the Lord God Almighty. Um, and I came to a point where I literally was broken and made a commitment to the Lord as I understood him at that point in my life. Um, my attitude changed, my thinking changed, I was having uh, devotions, although all within this, the context of this OA program. And uh, I even changed my name at that point. My given name is Doris, and I had felt along the line that people had a spiritual name coming from the Zen background, right? And uh, believed that Robin was a more appropriate name for me. And so after I went through this sort of uh, surrender experience, as it were. I changed my name to Robin, made the announcement to Gene. He was totally, looked at me like I was totally cracked, didn't know what had happened at all. <laughs> and it wasn't until about two, three years later that, um, actually we had joined the Amway business. A lot of people don't like to hear that, but that was our experience. And there were there are a number of uh, firmly committed Christians in that business. And as part of their conventions, they would offer an optional worship service where they gave an altar call. And we had been going for about six months, and after about six months, I began to feel a real tugging in my heart to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of my life. And when I converted to Jean in the Jewish faith, you have to relegate Christ to the position of a prophet or a... Um, what's the word I want? A political activist. <laughs> Something other than the Lord God Almighty. You have to, they recognize that Christ existed, that there was someone named Christ, and he was obviously very influential and very effective at the time, but he was not the God. Son of God. And so uh, I had to, in my mind, for the sake of our marriage in harmony, um, kind of give up my Catholic teaching that Christ was the Son of God and lower him to uh, a position of prophet in my own mind. Well, as I heard these um, preachings from the conventions that we went to, I began to feel that I could no longer keep him in that position. And I fought it for six months, literally fought it. I had a, a twisting in my heart because I was trying now to deny that Christ was Lord because my husband was Jewish. How could I turn around now and, and make this kind of profession of being like a, a real Christian when my husband was Jewish? What was going to happen to my marriage, everything? And so I finally the day came, another six months later, so this was a whole year, where um, I couldn't anymore, and I finally came forward and accepted the Lord. Um, and so that was six years ago. Uh, Jean's conversion came about three months later, which I was totally, totally shocked for. Even to this day, when I think about it, I'm just extremely pleased and feel very, very blessed. Well, that's quite a remarkable story. And uh, I think there's much more that we need to go into because it's what's happened since then that is, I think, the best part of the story. Robin, would you tell us more? This is a marvelous story. We had uh, some interesting experiences within the Amway business because there were so many prominent Christians uh, who were leaders and teachers. We would often be taught about the woman's role 
quote-unquote, within a business and within a marriage, and it was always from a Christian perspective. Um, one, that the idea, uh, one was the idea, obviously, that a wife should be subject to her husband's authority. Well, what was happening at this time was um, they had hosted, one of the couples there had hosted a program called Restore America where they introduced us to America's Christian history. This was really kind of our first introduction to uh, understanding um, America, its uh, inception through its biblical roots, founding fathers. And we went to that program. Gina and I went to that program. And we were introduced to the idea of homeschooling and the importance of teaching your own children at home, making sure that you raise them well. Also, uh, again, a lot of teaching about a woman's place, proper place in a Christian home. And you were there, actually. <laughs> oh, was this the Columbus, Ohio yes. mm -hmm. meeting? Oh, yes. This was the, the first, first time, time that we... John yeah, Saunders, that's right. our group, was also John there. John Saunders was there. Uh, that was the first time that we met him. It was actually the last time that we met him. <laughs> We've not seen him since, although we yeah. hear him often on the tapes. Uh, but that was our first introduction mm -hmm. to you. Jean was quite taken by you, absolutely just overwhelmed with what he heard you say. I was totally clouded with what you had to say. I must admit, went right over my head. It was just completely uh, foreign to anything I had ever heard. And when we left that program, Jean got on the Kelsey mailing list as a result of that, and as a result began reading a lot of your books and different things. Well, I went through, personally, a very frustrating period for about a year and a half because Gene was reading all of your works coming up from his inception as a Christian with a totally Reformed perspective. And we would be going to all these liberal churches. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'd hear the pastor say one thing. I thought it was wonderful. We'd come out and say, he was wrong here, there, he was wrong here, he was wrong here. And I'd look at him like, who are you? You know, I mean, you've only been a Christian for six months. How do you know? And I, I, he was the only person thinking the way he was thinking, the only one that I knew of. I was not reading Kelsey's reports. I was not listening to tapes. I was not doing any of those things. I thought he was totally bananas and off the wall. Our marriage was going downhill. <laughs> I mean, here we become Christians. Things are supposed to get better, right? Things were getting worse all over the place. Um, but as I listened to him, uh, explain more and more and more and I began reading a little bit myself I began to understand the point of view and the perspective the reform perspective that he was coming from and then I began to see a lot of the um, errors and, and things that I heard from uh, the pulpit a lot of liberal preaching and uh, so it but it was about a two-year haul before we were really kind of both going in, in the same direction and kind of the same thinking in our faith the challenge we have had recently is, again, moving to Michigan, there are really no reform churches or anything. Most of the churches there are very, very liberal. Um, it's difficult to find a church that will use even the King James uh, Bible. And uh, we have uh, met a number of friends through conferences scattered throughout the metropolitan area that have been... Uh, reading Chalcedon reports and reform works and uh, we're kind of hoping to get a church going so we're kind of working on that right now well Robin you're doing a remarkable work homeschooling your children mm -hmm. 
Uh, you have a dress code for them, yep. so that even in the home they have to dress <laughs> Absolutely. for school. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your work there? Um, well, last year I homeschooled yeah. four. Michael is uh, 13. He was grade 7. Well, Canada they say grade. Here it would be 7th grade. Um, Sarah was in 4th grade. Samuel was in 3rd grade. Jesse was in 1st grade. And uh, we had started, when we left Canada and went to Milwaukee, we enrolled the children in uh, Christian Liberty Academy of Brookfield, Wisconsin which was uh, a reformed church and, and school and very, very fine. They were there for six months when Jean had a different position and we were being moved to Michigan and they offered a homeschool curriculum, covenant home curriculum. It was basically an extension of what they were already doing in school. So we thought that was our best option and we decided to uh, go with it at that point. And uh, I also had four-year-old Elizabeth at the time, but I did not really do any real teaching with her. She was just kind of there. We had desks for everybody. We have uh, a large enough home with a finished basement that we actually set up a school room downstairs. It's all finished, and we had the charts on the wall and desks, and everybody has a desk, and um, we have boards that we work off of and uh, had all our materials, everything that we needed. The first half year, we kind of jumped in, didn't know what we were doing. We were lucky we even kind of got through, although uh, Dale Dykema, the pastor there, was very, very encouraging. The second year, or actually the first full year we had, we completed was last year. And uh, by the end of the year, a real pattern started to establish. Uh, a routine started to come. I could see where a lot of um, rote drills were being very effective with the children. They were memorizing and uh, learning things very well. Um, discipline and habits were starting to kind of develop. Um, I've been able to go through a, more than half of my curriculum for this year already, and it's been a real, I shouldn't say a real breeze, but a relatively simple job compared to when I first started, the sitting down and kind of mapping out schedules and figuring out what we're going to do. The children have responded well. Um, obviously, it's a bit of an unorthodox thing to do in the neighborhood that we're in. We supposedly live in a very nice suburban neighborhood, uh, upper middle class. There are a lot of private day schools in the area that a lot of the children go to. Uh, the public school is supposedly supposed to be one of the finest around. Uh, one of them just got a national award of some kind from the uh, from the government. They travel the country. They send these so-called experts out and they travel the country and they uh, pick out, quote, exemplary schools, and there's a couple schools in our districts that were um, given an award. But they're not without their problems, and uh, drugs obviously being one of them. Um, peer pressure. We have uh, two children that are kind of good foils for us in, in one sense. They live right across the street. One is a boy Michael's age. The other is a girl Sarah's age. And uh, they come over, we see the way they dress, the way they act, the way they speak. Um, all the things that they're into are completely um, peer-oriented. You can see they get all their influence from their peers. Uh, their parents literally almost have no effect on them at all. Uh, the boy, Eric, I can, uh, I'm afraid 
what will happen. I feel like the handwriting is on the wall. If he's allowed to continue uh, in the path that he's going in, they will have a drug problem on their hands. I mean, I can hear their daughter coming over one day and saying, uh, they found Eric with drugs and blah, 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 and uh, I won't be the least bit surprised. Um, our children have adjusted to homeschooling very well. The um, curriculum that we work with, we basically work a quarter at a time, and then I send in their reports and tests and uh, files and things like this into Milwaukee, and they look everything over and send it back with, with a comment sheet. So we're getting lots of feedback and uh, a lot of good input in that regard. They get along well. They help each other in school. We start at 9 in the morning. We finish at 3.30 in the afternoon, which is uh, it's a pretty good long day. Uh, I'm basically a working mother in that sense and that I have my time taken up all day, but I'm also free to run in and throw in a load of laundry because I'm home. I can get, you know, a couple loads of laundry done while I'm home. Uh, if I have to at lunchtime, I'm there to make phone calls. If repairmen have to come to the house, I'm home, which we have had in the past. Uh, in fact, we had an interesting experience last year. We had to have a painter come to do some repair work. He turned out to be a really terrific Christian fellow, <laughs> was just enthralled with the fact that we were homeschooling, had considered it himself. So it's been, uh, it's been very, very good in that regard. Homeschooling right now is one of the fastest growing causes in this country. No one knows how many people are homeschooling. I know that about six years ago, when the state superintendent of public instruction decided to move against the homeschools shortly after being elected, he backed off very quickly when he realized how many of the voters out there were homeschooling mm -hmm. parents. At that time, it was estimated that there were 105,000 homeschools, which means uh, 210,000 voters, and perhaps uh, 400,000 or better children. Mm -hmm. Well, that's just in California. That's why the state superintendent of public instruction changed his mind in a hurry and blamed one of his superintendents for having started the uh, attempt to suppress homeschools. We've not had any particular problem ourselves personally. Um, we we've are been part of. We, we've uh, been in the newspaper. Yeah, we were interviewed a for front the newspaper. page article mm -hmm. on, on our homeschool. And, and the local county paper, which is mm -hmm. Oakland County. So well, we're uh, very also visible. members of CURE, mm -hmm. which is uh, Christians United to Reclaim Education. It's a Michigan group. Well, you've had a hand in starting that group, haven't you? Yes. Mm -hmm, with other homeschoolers there. Yes, we're uh, on the board of directors, and we, uh, we're considered to be the Christian conscience of the homeschool movement in the state of Michigan. There are other Not necessarily the Christian opinion, but... <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We don't claim to be the only Christian. <laughs> well, there are others that would disagree with our stand. Yeah. Jean, you've also taken the tapes for the series that went into the making of the book uh, Christianity and the State and had uh, a study course on that. And you've taught a group uh, That's that correct. series. 
Yes, what we did was to uh, have a meeting in our home every uh, two weeks, well actually twice a month, uh, and we printed the flyers out and we've had, uh, we've had a summer recess, but we've had a growing uh, group of people coming over. Uh, the theology of the state was chosen because it is uh, church state related and it doesn't conflict with a lot of the uh, at this stage a lot of the church teaching and it's a, we found it to be a very good way of introducing people to the uh, perspective the reform perspective on something that was very practical and something that we were all having to deal with and many of the people that came over were homeschool parents and they wanted to understand what are the issues really I mean they knew that they needed to take a position but they weren't sure why they needed to take a Christian position or what even a Christian position was. So those, we've had a growing interest uh, in that. We're resuming that series in September and we have uh, plans for uh, continuing with that series uh, directed towards different audiences and in promoting uh, the reform perspective. A lot of people um, that I'm talking to, if I don't use the buzzwords and the labels that tend to polarize and just talk about the issues, they're very, they're they're much more receptive. If I say this is a reformed perspective and they're not reformed or they're something else, that tends to set up uh, a block. But if we just talk about the issues. Um, there's a lot more interchange. There's a lot more uh, responsiveness and receptivity. Well, actually, on the church and state issue, the Reformed perspective uh, has been, especially through the medieval era and for some time subsequently, the Catholic position. And it has been the position of uh, some other communions as well. So it comes closer to being the Christian position, certainly that of the early church and of most churches since then. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, <laughs> do you want to fill in some of the gaps in the story now? <laughs> as, uh, well, Robin's done such a good job. <laughs> I, I don't know if I could really improve on it, but... We've taken, we've tried to uh, continue being very active uh, in our own community. Not only did we feel it was important to begin a homeschool support group throughout the state, uh, it was very important to begin education. We have to re-educate people in our community, and that was one of the reasons for uh, starting this uh, study group. Uh, we were also, and we are involved uh, politically, and I had the privilege of being involved in a fundraising event, which was unique in Michigan history because we supported Mark Siljander. And Mark Siljander, we're on the east side of the state, and Mark's district is on the west side of the state. And the, I- and the idea was to help Mark become reelected. He was running for a primary, and he was considered, and he is, considered one of the outstanding uh, Christian spokesmen on Capitol Hill, and we felt it was important. Every time Mark votes, he's not just voting for the people of the state of mm-hmm. Michigan or his district, he's voting uh, on Christian issues and representing Christians all over the country, and uh, we felt that was very important. Well, to just briefly touch upon this, because it's 
it's almost a miracle. What happened was that we had made a decision to do something for Mark. And one phone call led to another phone call, and it was decided that perhaps a fundraiser could be uh, arranged. And there was a three-person host committee, or four-person host committee, and I was uh, on that committee. And from the time we mailed out our invitations to the time of the actual dinner fundraiser was only two weeks. And no one thought that it was even possible to put something together like this. Number one, none of us was experienced. Number two, this was highly unusual. Here we were in the 18th Congressional District raising funds for someone in the 4th Congressional District, clear across the state, and none of the people that came to the dinner could vote for Mark. But what we were able to do was to raise nearly uh, $14,000 in contributions for Mark, as well as another $6,000 that Mark picked up as a result of coming in. We were able to get Pat Robertson to come in as one of the keynote speakers. Um, it was a, a very exciting thing to be involved in because the people that were there were um, enthusiastic about the idea that they had to take a stand and uh, support mm -hmm. candidates who were willing to take a conservative and moral position with their funds and with their support and they saw all kinds of other people doing the same thing. This wasn't just um, a, a political thing. This was a cause. And it was very exciting uh, for us who were or organizing it. And Robin played a very prominent role because I was out of town um, much of the time. And we're continuing uh, to do that. The elections, of course, are coming. Unfortunately, Mark was defeated uh, in, in the primary, but this... I don't believe has, has really stopped the enthusiasm from uh, the people that were involved in that and continue to be involved. So we're uh, continuing to be very active. Um, Robin mentioned that we were in the process of starting a reform work. We're continuing to do that. Um, we feel that it, it is uh, very necessary to do that. Um, and other than that, I, I don't know, the best is yet to come, as, as, we, like to, as, as, as we like to say. It's Around December, we'll see. <laughs> we're a little bit um, uh, beside ourselves in, in some respects, because things have uh, happened at, at such a, a pace, uh, and very little of it has been our doing speak of. Yeah, our leaving Canada and, and finding the school in Milwaukee which gave us the curriculum introduced us to homeschooling. A lot of uh, sure. God's hand in uh, many, many things. Arranging for mood financially, we could never have done it. It was all picked up uh, by the company. Yeah, we moved twice. Many, many different things. Um, and no one really wanted to move us. It was, you know, sometimes uh, Christians have slogans that become cliches, like, I'm, I'm putting my life into the Lord's hands and uh, I'm sure that's true for some people and I'm sure it's not true for others. I really feel that that, that has been true for us because it's been unconscious. It, it, we made that decision and then we just kind of didn't think about it and we just uh, when, we, when we prayed about coming to the United States we felt that uh, this is what we had to do and uh, 
the Lord opened up the financial resources, opened up the personal contacts. When we, when I lost my, I lost my job literally. Um, well, I resigned, but it's the same thing. After six months moving to Milwaukee, it was and moving, you know, forty-two thousand pounds of furniture and five kids <laughs> into a city that you didn't know anything about, and then six months later, here you are in a very expensive home and no job and no friends. Um, what do you do? Uh, and when I took my job, uh, I told my boss uh, that I would take the job provided that they would move me sight unseen to Detroit. And he asked me why. He said, and, and I said, well, because if this doesn't work out like my last job, I want to be among friends. <laughs> <laughs> and you got it. And they, I wasn't trying to be flippant. I was. That was honestly the, the case. He respected that. And but what was unusual, he comes from a, a reasonably conservative Catholic background. And for one hour of our employment, of my employment interview, we talked about the critique of modern theology and the, the attack of liberalism on the Catholic Church. We didn't talk about the job. We didn't talk about what was required. <laughs> we were getting to know each other as, as people, and I think that played a very large part. And I wasn't self-consciously, quote, Christian in trying to, to share a witness I was just speaking uh, honestly and, and very um, spontaneously about issues which I had an opinion on. And um, in that sense, I left it up to the Lord. Had he turned to be anti-Christian or had he turned out to be a person that would hold that against us, then that would not have been to our favor. But we've always taken the approach of making a decision mm-hmm. between us and then the Lord would honor that decision he would um, how it would come about we didn't know but if something had to happen we would make the decision that something was going to happen and then the Lord would mm-hmm. honor that decision it's been that that's been pretty consistent all along we don't just kind of sit around and say well what do you want me to do next Lord yeah <laughs> no no we do we do have plans we uh, we I believe the Bible is pretty specific about the necessity of making plans but it was in the context that you know, all of these plans are going are only going to bear fruit if uh, God will permit that. So, but you don't dwell on that. I never I never felt the need of dwelling upon that. It was just something that was always in the background, and uh, perhaps that was part of the almost in a different sense the fatalism of of the Jewish experience. Well. Uh it's remarkable how much you do, Gene, considering the fact that uh, you are involved in politics in Michigan, you are involved in the homeschool movement and the state uh, organization, and you put a hundred thousand miles or so <laughs> in the air uh, traveling all over the country as a salesman each year, a hundred thousand miles. Now. 140,000. 140,000. <laughs> That's how we got here. It's called three tickets. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a day timer, and if it doesn't go into the day timer, it doesn't get done. There's really uh, a lot of scheduling that has to be done, but yes, it, it's it's um, it's not something that we can sit back and take very much credit for. It's just something that we feel has to be done, uh, and it's an outgrowth of saying. Um, 
we have to make our faith real and relevant in every area of our life and we don't we don't see any anyone else doing it and we don't feel uh, that we should wait for someone else to do it we're going to do what we feel we have to do what we've been called to do and we pray that God will uh, bring people into our lives that are of a like mind or uh, will be supportive and having that as, a, as an assumption we have met people in the homeschool movement mm-hmm. we've met people in the financial community uh, we've just I feel somewhat embarrassed to say how blessed we've been uh, in our lives because we've taken that attitude because it hasn't been our intention to exploit our religious faith we've just used it I, I believe as as um, as a way of understanding our lives and as a way of understanding what we need to do for for God and for our family for our country uh, and I I would have to say that uh, um, and I think it's important that I say this uh, I became a Christian. I'm a fairly new Christian, but my main theological exposure was through the Reformed faith, and specifically through the work of Calcedon and yourself. And I think that's been very providential. It has caused a number of problems, but I think it's been remarkable in helping me to get a compass on so many of the conflicting ideas that pervade the Christian community and 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 so forth and I believe that has had a, a real important effect on our lives one uh, quick question your mother was concerned when you first got married and then of course when Robin mm-hmm. converted and you did how is she adjusting to your lives now after all, she was just with you the last couple of days. Yes. Last week. Yes, she's been with us uh, all week. And I would say that she's reju- she's adjusting remarkably well, but uh, she doesn't agree with our perspective. She doesn't understand why we had to choose Christianity because she says, well, Christianity came from Judaism, so why did you need Christianity? Well, her idea, too, also is she doesn't understand why Jean would have actively sought something else in her mind without first seeking or uh, studying Judaism. Like, if that was his background, Mm -hmm. why didn't he go to study that first without looking for something else? Did she have the rabbi visit you? Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) He calls every Sunday. The rabbi calls. As a matter of fact, I'm studying with an Orthodox rabbi. And uh, uh, and that that's I'm finding that very interesting. And it is very interesting. But my mother has not accepted uh, our situation, uh, but she has acknowledged the fact that we're Christians. And uh, as a Jewish mother, even if your child becomes a Christian, um, but remains civilized and remains <laughs> approachable. You really don't have a cause for severing the relationship. And I, if our I, kids were monsters, I think it might be. It could be an excuse, but our kids are the opposite. We get nothing but praise about how well behaved our children she are. She doesn't. She doesn't understand how we can bring up such good kids um, when she sees so many other brats come to our <laughs> quote Jewish homes. 
And so she says, I really don't agree with what you're doing, but you must be doing something right. <laughs> what does the rabbi say? We've just got a couple of minutes. <laughs> well, the rabbi is a little per perplexed, too. <laughs> he's, I think he's trying to appease your mom more. He's kind of a, yeah. a liaison between the two because she, she finds it difficult to have a discussion with Jean without getting emotional yes. over the whole thing. So, so, so the rabbi is going through the rabbi at this point. The, the trying to help her understand um, his perspective. Maybe he'll convert him. <laughs> <laughs> Lord willing, we'll, we'll, we'll be part of that. But well, <laughs> it's been interesting. This has been marvelous, Jean, Robin. Thank you very, very Thank you much. Very Thank you very much. Uh, it's been a delight to have you here, and we'll look forward to seeing you again. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. Authorized by the Calcedon Foundation. Archived by the Mount Olive Tape Library. Digitized by Christrules.com.